and welcome to another exciting edition of the Battle Royale Podcast. You join us tonight for episode 9, A Cry for Help. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Help! That was my cry for help. Okay. <laughs> well, on that note, oh. and... Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> there we go. That was my attempt to bring some levity to a very dark situation. It is. I mean, after the jam-packed chapter that we looked at on our last episode um i mean we were just blown away with like how we managed to just cram in all that action that happened in the last chapter into our previous previous episode i, I don't know how we strung it, it out it was like a herculean <laughs> feat uh, it was like you know like when you're at school and you're asked to write an essay and it's got to be four pages long and you do things like right on the very top and bottom line of <laughs> so that's that's an extra page. <laughs> that was us. Okay. Oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, obviously, cry for help is uh, the name of this chapter. And now that we are officially into the game, the sides have already been drawn. People have already started showing their true emotions, and our two <laughs> what is it protagonists. Um, Inariko and uh, Nanahara or Shuya whichever way you want to call it depending on what sort of personal terms you are on with these characters they are obviously at the moment trying to avoid their classmates who are either taking matters into their own hands hiding out or just uh, opting out of playing the game altogether as we found on our previous episode as we had a quick rundown of all the characters who had met the demise early in the game and uh, tonight we're obviously going to be looking set to lose a couple more as uh, we enter into the fray once again. We rejoin our, our protagonists and uh, it's here that the characters are jumped upon by one of uh, their fellow students who's uh, wielding an axe. And uh, Stephen, do you want to chance on which character that was? Yeah, so we've got um, uh, Tatsumichi, um, Tatsumichi Oki, who uh, attacks with an axe in, in one of the most fumbly ways ever <laughs> I know but he's also also bothered to try and camouflage himself which shows he's got a little more organisation than a lot of the students we've seen so far even like the two main sort of psychopaths of this game um, have not put this sort of level of thought into the game they're just sort of playing the game and relying on you know nah, wits he, and he's gone, full, he's gone full John Rambo hasn't he he has <laughs> <laughs> he has indeed but yeah, Tazmuchi, uh Okay, he in the um, in the the manga and the book, he's actually a transfer student who's already re-established himself. He's very popular on the volleyball team, and uh, this is sort of what's established him as being one of the popular kids. And of course, because Shuya has to be friends with everyone, there's of course a link to Shuya in his backstory where Shuya cheered him on, and he does actually try to reason with him and like you know connect with him on a more humanitarian level and the two uh, end up stumbling off a cliff which we obviously see in the film in the film it's more sort of a roll down the embankment in the manga it looks like a, a drop off a sheer cliff so it's kind of like there's a panel that looks almost like a wily e. coyote cartoon of like a little puff uh, <laughs> where they hit the ground somehow imagine survive it's also um worth noting in the manga he instead of the axe he has a machete um it still ends right. up in the same place yeah uh, th this this is both 
one of, one of those gory bits and also one of the laugh out loud bits isn't it because it's it's like the sort of thing that would happen in an itv sitcom from 1975 alongside casual racism but you know a rubber a rubber axe embedded in someone's head <laughs> and then and then he goes i'm sorry <laughs> it's like this the the to respark his humanity and to snap him out of his bloodless all you need to do is just jam an axe in his head uh, oh, I, 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 I've been terribly rude. Please forgive me. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, when you watch Bottom of the Young Ones, and uh, like you got like Richie getting stabbed in the head with, in the head with a fork or something. That's what it felt yeah. uh, very much like. It, it does. It, it feels very, very slapstick. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> much, much more than the deaths have been so far. I mean. I guess the guy was the um, the guy that shot himself. That was, or oh, oh, sorry, he got shot by his own weapon. Yes, he did. Go, the crossbow guy. Um, I guess that was funny as well. And so I guess there is this, there is an element of humour that runs through the film because otherwise it would be so dark and depressing. I think we'd probably be joining some of the others and jumping off the cliff. Um, but this one's just weird because <laughs> it's it's so. I don't. We don't really work out what happens and and how hard it must be to actually embed an axe three centimeters into your skull. I think the only indication is the fact that as they're tumbling down the hill, that it uh, it it just so happens that he falls on the axe and that's why it mm. embeds on it. So that's. I guess. I guess. Because but... certainly Shuya doesn't grab the axe at any point. He uses his pan lid in the only one time it was actually useful. Mm. Um. Which is kind of interesting as well that we see in the film, like all the useless weapons still end up having a use of some sort. So, if, like the flashlight becomes a really good uh, club, and we see it again with the panel is a great uh, source of you know protecting itself. It's kind of like a yeah, makeshift a shield. Yeah, absolutely, it's a defensive weapon. Mm. And I guess the other thing about this scene is that yes, it, it it's a bit funny, and obviously it's going to lead into some other stuff in a minute. But this is an important scene for something that happens, I don't know, about episode 250, the speed we're getting through the film. <laughs> but um, in, in a fleeting limit, uh, Yuko, one of, the young, one of the girls, is seen watching this happen, and she runs off, and her opinion of what she has seen is going to impact stuff much later on. Yeah, that's going to come up in, in episode 15 when we get to the lighthouse. Um, I mean, I'm, not, not 273. Yeah. <laughs> how long you think this film is <laughs> or just like how pedantic they are with the chapters it's sort of like... well, I don't know like the last episode I'm thinking oh my god how many chapters are there <laughs> apparently there's some people who just really wanted to skip to those briefing parts Yeah. maybe it's, this is like their version of the machete cut like you yeah. just skip to the, the briefness sort of like oh they got killed off and you can just scratch them off and work there it out is, your own there head is, there is a cut on YouTube which is just the deaths does not surprise me. There's a lot of carnage <laughs> cuts of everything on there now. Yeah, but uh, not very long. So, um, but uh, yes, you you swear to me that uh, you see her in in the bushes in this in this scene. You do absolutely, and I do not remember seeing her in the bushes in this. And I'm sure it was sort of like something that's added in sort of retrospectively once we get to the lighthouse. So I'm going to take your word for that, Stephen. So. I, I've been watching a copy that's on YouTube today, and she was definitely in it. And I thought, oh, I didn't realise she was in this bit. So, um, 
and yes, it all made a bit more sense now. And that's what, even though it's about the fifteenth time I've watched that bit of the scene in the last month. Cause... Hey ho! <laughs> Apparently, the Blu-ray chapters are a little more space than the DVD chapters are that we're working in with here. Uh, I gave, gave up with the Blu-ray. I can't keep booting that up for this. So I do my little. I do my little pre-watch on a YouTube version, which appears to have been filmed through a. Um, a uh, piece of muslin, muslin cloth. Hmm. <laughs> you can barely see what's going on. That's cool. Um, and it's, I mean, it's no longer when we have this scene in the in the anime. It's actually the backpack that he uses um, to as the sort of defense of weapon, which I suppose is is a good enough approach. But it's kind of interesting the fact they chose to, you know, give some significance to the the pan lid but again as well i suppose that in the when we look at the banger he's got a boomerang instead of a pan lid so <laughs> i'm not sure how good a defensive weapon a boomerang is if you try and hold that up against well, an act blade a boomerang is a, is a magnificent attacking weapon if you can use it <laughs> <laughs> i i suspect japanese schoolboys can't oh dear yeah it's a hunting weapon isn't it, it? Is. but yeah absolutely useless to a schoolboy yeah it's only I've only ever seen it used as like an offensive weapon in two films, and one obviously being Mad Max Two, um, yep. Road Warrior, with uh, the feral kid who's got a steel boomerang, which is mm-hmm. apparently works somehow, and uh, the other one being in Red Road, which is mm-hmm. um, an Australian filler. Uh, you surprise me that the two films set in Australia have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny enough. Oh, and Croc, Croc Dundee, um, the limo driver uses the, was it the spoiler off the limo? As 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 a makeshift boomerang. Yeah. Oh, so. God, now, now we're reaching. <laughs> this isn't like we're just, I'm not like sitting around like, charting the use of boomerangs as offensive weapons in films. It's, there's some random... This could, this could be a whole three-episode podcast just on it, its own. There's some <laughs> random lists on there. I mean, obviously, Will Slater over exploding helicopters charting chopper fireballs, and he was done the list of, like, cops eating hot dogs in movies, which... Um, yeah. These, these, are, these are tropes in which you could probably mine quite a lot of episodes out of. Yeah. Boom, boomerangs in cinema. Not so sure. Yeah, I'm always excited to see uh, Girls With Rockets. So if I see a, a lady welding a rocket launcher in a film, that's always quite exciting. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. go on for my and list. Then, again, reckon you could get 12 episodes out of that easy. It's quite... I'm, 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 almost, I'm almost keen to set you the challenge. I will I will dig out my list for you. My other list being girls with patches of women wearing eye patches in films. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I can think of two that are both related to each other. That's quite a few. Yeah, I'm sure there's hundreds of them, really. But okay. Okay. It's, anyway. Anyway, back to <laughs> what's going on here, because I mean, it's not just enough for the for him to obviously be attacked by this lunatic with an axe, uh, which obviously gives him unintentionally his first kill of the game, because he is inversely responsible for a student's death. So he's not com- coming out of this game completely unscathed, as I think a lot of people want to sort of view him as, and that he just sort of hides behind. Um, the obvious skills of um, Guada, who does um, a lot of the heavy work, it has to be said. And when you compare how Guada looks in this film to how he looks in like the manga, and the manga, he, they have these uh, panels where he's sort of like side by side with um, with him, and he's sort of like this giant towering guy. 
<laughs> it's sort of like, oh, no wonder you're the burly protector in this story, so. But um, we also have another student who uh, comes up, the class president, um, with a pistol. Ah, so, yeah, so this is a guy that we had actually seen before. Um, he had um, shown some some moaning <laughs> in the in the beginning sequence. <laughs> um, so this is Ka, um, Kaichi Motobuchi, who is uh, ah, I guess he is your stereotypical hard-working Japanese student, isn't he? He is. Um, and we know this because he wears glasses and <laughs> and and uses non-functional. Um, equations out loud as some kind of concentration tool. I don't know why he would say that while shooting a gun at you. Um, but obviously the things that he is saying is, you know, basically I've been a good kid. I've studied hard. And this is this sort of harks back to something he said earlier. Yeah. Why, why the hell am I going through this? Um, and uh, this is the last we see of him. <laughs> because, because even though he's got a, he's got a pretty good weapon, he's got a He's got a he's got a pistol, hasn't he? He's um, got a really tasty looking revolver. It has to be said. Um, um, he, he he finds out that shooting a revolver without knowing what you're doing pretty much means you're going to miss even at point blank range. <laughs> and um, over the hill comes another student who's got a better weapon. <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, this is obviously the first time that we've uh, that we see. Kawada, uh, who's been, as I said, he's been very withdrawn from the game, so to speak. Um, at this point, it's when we look at Kawada's sort of like um, contributions here. He, he basically he made the big sort of like show and dance of like you know that's not my backpack and went charging off. Mm. And um, this that was sort of like what we the last we saw of him for the time being, and now he mysteriously comes out of the the wilderness um, with his his shotgun and takes care of business. Uh, in the manga again, this is really a really cool scene. Uh, the class student is just he spouts a lot of really bizarre nonsense. It's really a lot of filthy sort of spouting spouting, and he's calling. Um, uh, she uh, like gay and all the rest of this. It's like, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. It was even like a really bad translation, or there's something darker going on there. I'm not sure what, but it's uh, his death scene in particular is really cool because he gets like a shotgun blast to the chest because they actually have his appearance as like this big sort of cliffhanger between chapters, and he's there with like the gun and he's like pointed at him, and then suddenly like he gets his arm blown off. And then he's like walking up, trying to shoot, um, shoot him with his 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 hand that's still welding like um, the pistol. He's sort of waving it around, and then gets like a really gory death scene, which is pretty cool. But yeah, Kawada is you know he's a badass in this. He's a badass in the book. He's a badass in the novel. He's just you know he's the veteran of the games. He doesn't uh, take any messing. He knows what the score is and how these games tend to go down. So. Yeah, although there's a real, there's a real sort of bipolarness to Shogo. Um, again, I'm just reading up on the wiki here, and it was sort of just reflecting what I had seen. Is that yes, he comes over and he and he shoots um, Koichi in the arm, but basically trying to disarm him. But he only actually kills him 
when he keeps on going. Um, he doesn't shoot our um, he doesn't shoot our lead protagonist either for some reason. So yeah, he's badass and he's got a really cool weapon. And yes, he kills somebody in this scene, but you do feel that wasn't his prime concern. Yeah. And I don't understand. Again, we'll maybe talk about this a bit more at the end of the episode. But I'm, I'm at this moment, his motivations and the things that he does are a bit hard to square off. I always saw that he saw, you know, in he, he saw it in in our couple, so like um, a connection to his own sort of past there, because obviously we know from the the previous game he was involved in, he had was involved with. Um, it was sort of like he was the protector of his girlfriend who mm. ended up getting killed in the the games when it sort of came down to those two. Um which we were obviously we're develop we'll go back to a bit later a bit later on because it is a scene that's a bit a little more developed in both the manga and the novel. There's actually um a little more reasons to it. It doesn't just seem that seem like we have in the film where it just seemed like she just shot him randomly. There is a little more to it. Mm. Um so but we're obviously getting to that when that scene comes up. Uh but yeah, I always just assume that um that when he looks at looks at this pair that he sort of sees, you know, the person yeah. he used to be. maybe so, although I I guess he's hoping they don't finish the way he and his partner finished. Um but yes, it just it is it is odd and, and just just feels odd in this instance. Obviously, you know, later on there to become a gang and a team that work together. But in this moment he sort of come along, he shot he shot one guy, but almost in self defence. You know, it was, it was the first shot away was just to go away kind of shy. <laughs> um and then he doesn't shoot these two. Yeah, the way he talks about the next couple we're gonna meet is um yeah, it's just it's, I have a hard time working him out, but then I think everybody does. You know, we're going to find some stuff out about him later. That you know, he's hiding a lot of stuff, isn't he? Well, so yes, he's, I mean, he's, he's a very complicated character. He's constantly changes his his uh, sort of like backstory, mm. and like especially what his how he got all his sort of skill sets. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a doctor. Yeah. My dad was a yeah. There's a lot of that, but we'll, we'll that that's another one of my favourite scenes. So we'll talk about that, I guess, in the the relevant time. Yes, um, it's also from this scene we also get to see uh, one of the more misguided attempts at unifying the students in the game, as uh, led by Yukio Katano, and uh, she's there with her best friend. Um, uh, Yumiko. Yumiko. <laughs> it's, not, it's really bad when you write these two words, names down for you. You think, oh, have I written the same name down twice? But no. Yukiko and Yumiko. Yukiko and Yumiko. Yes. And, uh, yes. Yumiko, who had a crush on Shuya. Because Shuya has to be involved in everybody's backstory, apparently. <laughs> there is a bit of that, isn't there? It's like, what the... But, yes. Um, Yukio had... Um, Oh, you! I'm just gonna. Yukiko. Yukiko, yes, Yukiko. Her amazing weapon was a dartboard and darts. So if she was going, had probably been better off trying to set up an episode of Bullseye than uh, Karen Plan. <laughs> <laughs> they could have won 
the speedboat at the end <laughs> and escapes. <laughs> it's always like some person in Wolverhampton who won a speedboat. It's like, you ain't got any water near you. What are you going to do with that? Um, it's We've suddenly gone into a very specific area of British... I want to say 80s quiz shows there that um, a lot of our audience won't understand, but just trust us, it's it's spot on. Here in the the UK, we make game shows about pub games like darts, and we did, yeah. And when you and in which which uh, overweight people we were told had athletic ability could win exciting prizes such as porch sets. And uh... and we'd have it hosted by a working men's club comedian who actually used to tell really blue, dirty jokes on the club scene. <laughs> Why anyone thought he was suitable for a prime time quiz show? Because he's awesome. I have no idea. Jim Bowen. Everybody loves a bit of bully. Gotta love a bit of bully. <laughs> and yes, the, the 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 joke is that the the prize, which no one ever seemed to actually won, would either be a caravan or a speedboat. <laughs> Oh, I forgot about the caravans. (laughs) (laughs) It looked crappy to begin with. Yeah. Uh, Deary me. Yes, so Yukiko has said she's got darts. I'm sure it's got a use. Maybe she's going to set up a bar on the island. I don't know. (laughs) And Yumiko has slightly more uh, better fed as she had grenades. And somehow the two have got... A megaphone. I don't know where they got that from. I I thought um, Yukiko's weapon was the megaphone. Well, according to the the wiki, uh, y- Yumiko's uh, weapon is uh, a katana, which we never see. So I don't know where they got that information from. Oh yeah. Unless that's the we're to believe that the blade that uh, we see um, we see him with later. Is from hair. That's what the wiki's suggesting. I didn't spot that at all because I see him. I guess we're jumping ahead a bit. I see him sort of throw away the megaphone and then he picked something else up and didn't think. Oh, he picked up. Oh no, the nunchucks. That's what. That's from the previous yep. people he saw, isn't it? No, I don't see him pick that up at all. But 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 the wiki says he did. Yeah. And... So he must have done. Yeah. So in the. In the film, she said to have the sword, so that's where that comes into play. Um, and uh, in the manga and the novel, she has grenades, so I don't know, maybe she brought her own little agitator <laughs> with it. Uh... So, yeah, they somehow, these, these two have got hold of a megaphone. We'll just say that much. I don't yeah. know how or where. Maybe it was in their personal belongings. Maybe they brought it with them. So. Maybe that's what they plan to do. Maybe they plan to, maybe um, Yumika, Yukiko decided was going to megaphone out her love to um, Shuya during the trip. That that's what it'll be. That's canon now. Yeah, these two, they are best friends. If you ain't guessed already, they're not the smartest of uh, people either, which you probably also guessed already because they're using a megaphone. And uh, drawing complete attention to themselves. So, to quote Sean Connery in The Rock, Sniper's going to have their ass. 
Uh, yeah, so yeah, they get they go up to the highest piece of the island and shout out where they are, and that everyone should come and get together and smoke the pipe of peace now, and work out together. And to be fair, Kitano does sort of say a bit later, not necessarily a bad idea, but you implemented it badly <laughs> <laughs> because all they do is attract our friend Kiriyama. Yes, uh, Kiriyama, who at this point is. He's fully in his element. He's he's got his weapon stockpile from obviously his earlier sort of ambush on the on the beach. So he got most of his weapons through that way, and now he's basically one of the most well armed contestants on the island. Um, now, as we discussed pre- in a previous uh, previous uh, chapter in the book and the and uh, the the manga especially, it's his former gang members that he's. Uh, Killed off as a coin flip uh, didn't work out in their favour, as they all, decided that they were all going to play the game. And yeah, I mean, Kiriyama. I mean, it, the film does such a great job of just creating this absolute psychopath out of him. And I think if it wasn't clear already what a nut job he is, uh, this scene like really just sort of highlights to everyone exactly what his intentions are in the game. Is he just comes off as the most sadistic. Uh, and even like one of them are just he's just absolutely sadistic in the sequence. Um, even more so than our our favourite girl. I think so because yeah, he 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 doesn't just kill them. He sees that one's still on her last legs, puts her microphone her megaphone up to her lips and shoots her again so everyone can hear her dying breath. Um, you know, he makes a big show out of it. So he's, you know, he's a sociopath, he's a psychopath, whatever you want to call it. Others are there just trying to survive. Um, others are maybe enjoying the game, mm. but he's enjoying the act of killing. And you know, he's 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 there's no there's never going to be a redemption for this fella because basically this 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 scene seals the deal doesn't it up to now you thought well they've all been dicks but that's a that's a pretty cruel move yeah i mean even intimidates mitsuko who we see sort of sneaking up on the attack mm. um and i love the fact that it totally sort of dawned on me as we've been going through this the fact that she has the stickle and all her movements are very much like a ninja warrior s so and I came to mind as well when we were talking about um, Millennium Actress over on our main show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, uh, when we had that scene with you with the sort of like ninja scroll scene and how the characters move and stuff. And when you look at Mitsuko, she moves exactly the same. So she's got this real sort of like female ninja sort of element to her, and obviously only sort of furthered by the fact that the sticker was her weapon of choice. Um. So it's kind of you kind of wonder what would happen if she had got to them first. I mean, is she going to pull another charm offensive like we've seen her do, do already, or do you think she's just going to go in sort of like and bump them off in quick succession? Because wow, oh, that would be I think because yeah, she is she is she is sort of hanging around, and like you say, she she, she runs off when things. Are, but but with the three of them, that that doesn't to me seem like her style. Um, I can imagine if it's just. Um, uh, Shuya and uh, Noriko, you know, she could she could easily take the pair of them because she's shown us. Well, we, it was off camera, but we know that she's killed a, another couple before. Um, but I do think Shogo being there, surely with his 
with his shotgun, with his axe. Yeah. Um, I think he would, you know, she, she's not stupid. She'd know not to take on the three of them, especially knows she wouldn't take on Shogo in like, open combat. Um, and I always feel that she's also one that thinks on her feet. So this, this, this doesn't, and I guess she shows that, doesn't she? But she suddenly thinks way better of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And and runs up off back into the bushes again. But you reminded me as well of the team with Shogo, the fact that he's constantly collecting weapons. Like the fact mm. that the axe is buried in uh, in, his, in the oh, guy's yeah. head. He's sort of like, oh, just, I'm going to need this. This is no use to you anymore. And they are the two that do that. Um, you know, it's it Shogo and Kuriyama are the ones who are sensible enough to pick over their kills and and get stuff. Um, well, Mitsuko uh, has the stun gun. That's the only does. thing she really picks up, but everyone else, she sort of... Um... I mean, most other people that she attacks have got shitty weapons. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <coughs> So maybe, maybe, maybe we're seeing too much into. But they both, they both do seem to hoard. And Kuriyama obviously looks at things and throws, and has thrown stuff away. You know, like the nunchucks. Yes. But, but you know, you are might say, "Well, some nunchucks are that. You know, they might come in useful." He just says, "Nah, that, that's pointless." <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Kuriyama's constantly like, it's almost like he's evolving his his himself over the course of the mm. game. You seem like get all these sort of upgrades for himself so he becomes a much more deadlier fighter you look at um, like Mitsuko, Mitsuko only picks up one or two weapons, it's all about what's going to fit into her style of attack um, and then you obviously have the survivalist that is um, uh, Shogo who we see like he sets up like noise traps and stuff and he's all about the efficiency of the the game he know he's just he's like someone playing fallout he's there picking things up that are going to be useful to him um it's mm. not necessarily about being the deadliest person on it it's all about you know feathering his own survival uh which yeah. also explains why he's he spends a lot of time hiding out rather than just going full force but it was unexpected when he obviously tries to warn the two girls you would have thought that he wouldn't be trying to draw him so much attention to himself and would you say that this is really sort of like already we're seeing the corrupting influence of like Shuya um, and Ko the fact that you know that overwhelming goodness is making him bring back a little humanity because when you when he's first introduced you don't you think you know he's just in it for himself um There'd be no reason for him to really want to look out for anyone else. I don't know. It's it, it, this is this is this this bipolar nature of him that I'm I, I am con- confused at, at this confused with by at this stage of the of the film. You know, I I, I don't understand him fully because he's he's just shot somebody. You've just seen him kill somebody with a shotgun. Um, he he talks. You know. He's either telling them to go away or act, be more sensible, don't do something stupid, and also follow me. I'm like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what's in it for you to have these two follow you? Um, they can carry stuff. Well, yeah. uh, and obviously, you know, <laughs> Noriko's down, down with that. Yeah, I'm about so to say she has already <laughs> established himself as the pack horse of this <laughs> this game. Um, so. So, so yeah, and I, I, I think, I think these things are made clearer 
in the book. I don't know about the manga, obviously, but yeah, the, it's just it's just a bit weird. But that's again, it's an interesting reading of it that that Shiryu and Noriko have this effect on people that turns them into cuddly bunnies. <laughs> but that, but yeah, maybe there's something to that. Um, although Shiryu's little hissy fit that he has again shouting out oh god if you're gonna if you're gonna do it why did you do that oh, that's <laughs> you know stamping his little foot and screeching is uh i'm glad i'm glad he gets out of his system because mm. certainly he as when we look at him in you know in the in the manga especially he's an ex he's um not got any sort of friends in in the class and and, and whatnot so and especially because he's a, a transfer student, so he he's also established the fact that he really wouldn't have had time to make it. But you never get the attention that he's sort of like one of these person who wants to sit out and make friends because he's pretty still shell shocked from having survived the first game. So, and also he appears physically to be twenty years older than anybody else. He but... does in all these formats. <laughs> he always seems like this really old student. It's kind of like what um, Kenny is in The Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's this really mature student. The fact he went to school in Otto was then he's still like in the fourth grade. <laughs> we used to have um, we used to have at school, and this is may come out bad. You may need to edit it, but we used to have um, a, a, a gypsy camp. <laughs> it's not yeah, starting well. Lived back, lived back at school, and and there were kids from the gypsy camp used to come to. And this is this is um, primary school, so I don't know. If, primary and infant school sort of five to eleven yeah and these these kids were clearly 16 and 17 and we were <laughs> eight <laughs> and um yeah that they, they were fine but they were clearly way older than they were letting on yeah that's what i think of shogo when I, i've always thought that of him he's like oh, he's like one of the gypsy kids he's uh He's not being very honest about his age, is he? Because he's clearly a man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly from when you look at sort of the breakdown of his character, I mean, Shogo is a very logical person. Uh, when we compare him to Shu, who's just very emotional. Mm. So the, you put, he's, uh, it's interesting the fact that he would want to take someone who's at the polar opposite of him and someone who's essentially just a liability. I mean, obviously I can understand you take Noriko with her, but I suppose that... The two are pretty much joined at the hip in this game, so you kind of, in trying to rescue one, you're going to be stuck with the other one. So, yeah, that's true. Unless you can trick them into going to a trap or something. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> I'm already working my way to get rid of her. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I mean, this is a, a very, it's a good, good chapter. Um, there's definitely some interesting, exciting moments of uh, action in here, and it's certainly when we compare it, obviously, to the manga. I mean, the manga does things in like a much more explicit way because that's the way the manga has been designed. Um, it really, really relishes in like the gore and violence, and I mean, yes, it. We have uh, that. It would have been kind of funny to see to see him sort of, like pick up his arm with like Sue like clasping the pistol, but you know, it was. He's such a minor character, you don't really think about him. I completely forgot he was in this scene until we rewatched it, to be honest. So, hmm. Interesting. Yes. Um, but this is... I think this now is... We've now fully met 
all our main players. Yeah. I think the I only think, people we've obviously got to meet, we've got to still meet the third man, um, who's the uh, the hacker, who should be coming up a bit in the next couple of chapters. Yeah, I think, there's so. the, the, the hacking the hacking gang, um, and there's obviously um, running girl. Yeah, chicken <laughs> Um But they only, you know, they, they, they exist within, for, for moments within the film. You know, they, they've got significant parts to significant moments but they don't exist for the length of the film as much as as you would like you know, Sh you know Shugo Kuriyama Shoya Nariko um, and uh, and Sickle Girl are possibly the, sort of the, the real main players on this chessboard I think definitely so I think the only when we look at the other people we're stood to meet, like we've obviously got the girls over at the lighthouse. We've obviously got the we got the third man who are another. You've got these sort of like resistance groups. I think is the best way to sort of describe mm. them because they're hiding out, doing their own sort of thing. They're not really participating in the game, um, and it's really the ones that the people that we're going to see sort of falling next to sort of like the real sort of stragglers who are sort of out yeah. there on their own. I mean, obviously Chisels, I think, is just apparently in the world of her own because she's off doing her running training. And then we've got other characters who are trying to find members of their class that they've been separated from as well. So there's... um. There's a few stragglers, but we're going to come down to a couple of groups soon. Yeah, we're definitely seeing people form their groups, or if they choose, it, if they're going to be just hunters in this game. So I think you're definitely right. In and now the game has fully been established, and I think people have really sort of decided which sides they're going to be on. Um, and if they are, at there's all. no one's left that's not playing. The only the only two that aren't playing still are Shuya and and Nariko. <laughs> Everyone else has killed themselves or have been weeded out already. Everyone else is now yeah. fully embedded in the game. I would say so. I would say they definitely uh, they they definitely sort of have have a sort of established themselves um, as to what they're going to be uh, be doing. So, but uh, yeah. I, I think, as I say, with these two girls, though, I mean, obviously, if we. It's so hard to see them actually, like, surviving in any way <laughs> for me. It's all like, if they hadn't died in this occasion, you know, they would have stumbled into something else. So. Yeah, they. Yeah. They, they clearly are. You know, if this had been done at the right time and we didn't have Kuriyama in there. And maybe a couple of the others who are obviously psychopaths. <laughs> um, th this could have been a way of going about it, yeah? You could have, you know, if they'd all got together and all moved together and assigned roles, you know, you guys work on getting off the necklace, you guys keep, you know, you're, you're in charge of defending us, you're in charge of making sure that we don't, you know, you're in charge of the maps. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's 12 hours too late for that, and there are too many wild cards. Yeah, and they'd be like, uh, Yumiko, just, um, yeah, just, just don't touch anything. <laughs> and Yukio, you just don't touch anything either. Just stand yeah. there. They're, they're basically like, they're on the same level as like, uh, the cast members of Geordie Shaw. Where it's all mm. like, you, you know, you just, just gotta guy, you just gotta look after the bee in the bottle. <laughs> that, that's your one job here. 
Um, even like the US counterparts, when we look at Jersey Shore, they can at least hold down a job. It seems like a stretch for the Ge- Geordie Shore ones to uh, to do anything. <laughs> if it... More more British. Very particular I, I British. Think American TV. people know because there's enough videos of like Americans react to Geordie Shore. I guess so. Jersey Shore, yeah. They have New Jersey Shore anyway, don't they? Jersey yeah. Shore. You got it, Jer- Jersey Shore, and you've got the. It's the same. <laughs> you had that other one, which was just like a bunch of rednecks that lasted one season because one of the ca- one of the cast members had a Land Rover roller on him. So. I I, I know nothing about these okay. shows. I just know their name. Well, I have. Make sure you uh, join us uh, <laughs> next episode of Reality TV Chat. <laughs> The exciting new spin-off of uh, the Asian Cinema Film Club. Yeah, please like and subscribe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anything else you want to bring up for this chapter? I don't think so. Um, other than this, you know, after the after the paucity of stuff to talk about in the last episode, we get a lot going on in our few square meters in this, you know, in this one. There are characters that you hadn't even noticed, characters that are sliding around in the in the undergrowth. Um, there's a there's a moment of of sickness in the in the death of Yukiko and Yumiko, um, and the gang. One of our gangs is finally together. Um, you know, Shogo does this. This is the start of a. Well, that's a start of a threesome, but that's a different sort of thing together, isn't it? But yeah, it's it. There's a. It, it's quite a dense chapter. This. Yes. Compared compared with some, you know, we get a few deaths, but also the story. Oh, and of course, you know, and 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 something that's going to play out later. One person's view of how a character died, which at the time felt very comical, um, will have repercussions much later on. Um, which is one of the few times I think that happens. Yeah, this is this is a really important chapter, and I hadn't realised at the time quite how important it was. Yeah, it's. I mean, you've got fifty characters here. It's you're gonna have a lot of things happening, and that's where I think one of the things that the film does so well. I mean, you've got all these characters, and yet they all manage to get screen times. So they all get identities, as we've said before, and it's sort of like it's quite astounding when you look into like how intricate some of this plotting is. Because it's, it's one thing to, as I said, just have 50 characters and make, make 25 of them disposable and sort of cannon fodder. But mm. with this film and obviously the source novel and stuff, you, these characters have got very sort of intri- intricate sort of storylines. And like the fact that events that happen in like one chapter of this uh, film have repercussions further down the line and stuff, it's sort of, it throws a lot of surprises at you in that way. So it's kind of. Uh, yeah, I yeah. agree. I, I, I agree. Um, and we sort of talked about this in an earlier episode. You know, no, no, nothing that happens in a film happens by mistake. Very few films are made in a linear way, just making us up as they go along. Maybe some of the films we've watched from Hong Kong are a bit like that. But on the whole, things have things have plots and are planned out and there are themes and there are there are things which are meant to trigger events later on. And this is this is one of the one of those one of those moments. So yeah, good, good, good chapter. I thought one of my um, one of my favourite five minutes of the film. Well, that brings us to the end of another 
edition of the Battle Royale podcast. Thank you as always for listening. You can obviously follow us on Facebook and Instagram uh, under our main show, which is the Asian Cinema Film Club. And wherever you happen to be listening to us, please do hit the like and subscribe button. It all helps raise the profile of the show. Maybe leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show or the film itself. Um, we will be back next time, though, with our next chapter of uh, Battle Royale which is the second report which I'm sure is going to be another jam packed chapter filled with exciting things throughout no doubt are you, are you telling me it's a short one <laughs> I've, as I said I've got to recheck the chapter but if it's anything like the first <laughs> the first report <laughs> then uh, exciting times are ahead uh, it'll be like an end of term we'll bring we'll bring snakes and ladders and, and game of life in shall we and do something else instead <laughs> play darts maybe <laughs> got a little bit of bully um, but yeah you also on our main show the Asian Super Film Club we uh, you, our most recent episode we checked out um, Millennium Actress a very underappreciated anime from um, our favourite uh, one of our favourite directors Satoshi Khan uh, almost finishing out his filmography on the show, so you can actually go back and check out our thoughts on both Perfect Blue and uh, Tokyo Godfathers as well. And we currently only have uh, Paprika to cover, and then we will have done everything under his filmography. So if you're a Satoshi Kon fan, make sure you uh, check those episodes out, especially. But um, as always, I'd like to uh, thank everyone for listening. Thank you to my co-host Stephen, and we will be back next time to discuss the second report. But until then, good night. <laughs> <laughs>